0: grace be to you from our Lord and Savior, our refuge, Jesus Christ. Um, It's always fun to be able to preach on texts that are really chock full of law, and uh, we'll we'll work our way to some gospel here, but we do need to deal with what Christ is saying. Uh, So this passage from Matthew comes at the end of a string of woes that Jesus pronounces against the Pharisees for their outwardly righteous appearance but their inwardly twisted hearts. Now, one of the striking images that Jesus levels against the Pharisees comes earlier in verses 27 through 28 when he says, You are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful because they're alabaster stone on the outside, all pristine and pure, uh, but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanness. And you can just imagine what that would be like after a few days. In other words, to the world, the Pharisees look like the most spiritually uh, robust and God-pleasing people, but inside they are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Today's passage concludes Jesus' woes against the Pharisees. In verses 29 through 33, Jesus unmasks the Pharisees' fake righteousness of building ornate tombs for the prophets as a show of solidarity with God's prophets in a stand against the ancestors who killed those prophets. But Jesus trots out the Pharisees' true nature by saying that he will send prophets and wise men and scribes to them, but the Pharisees will not honor them. Rather, they will crucify, flog, and hound them from town to town. The Pharisees might outwardly honor God's past prophets, but that is easy because the bite of their words is dulled by their distance and time. Face to face with a living prophet who publicly shows them their corrupt spirituality, the Pharisees will coil like a brood of vipers to strike the messengers with venom to silence them. Jesus knows that they will do this. Jesus has already witnessed the Pharisees rejecting his words. Jesus knows that this will happen to his disciples too, and he warned them of that earlier in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus knows that he soon will be persecuted, flogged, and crucified. The Pharisees do not stand with God, even if they convince themselves of this by their self-affirming theology. No, they oppose God, as has been seen and as will happen again when they assault God's messengers, indeed the very messenger of God. In fact, as Jesus says, the Pharisees culminate a long line of enemies of God from Cain, who killed his righteous brother Abel, recorded in Genesis 4, to King Joash, and the people who stoned, who killed the prophet Zechariah, recorded in Second Chronicles 24. And if you're dealing with the Hebrew Bible and the canon there, that's from beginning to end. That's from Genesis to the end of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, which is Chronicles. Now we know that Abel offered a better sacrifice to God in thankful faith for God's gracious gifts to him. Um, and we know that Cain, whose sacrifice God did not favor because it was a superficial offering born out of thin thanks and trust, we know that Cain murdered his brother to smother his righteousness. This is a time honored tradition of rather than becoming more righteous yourself, uh, just eliminate the competition. Right? Similarly, the prophet Zechariah was stoned to death because he critiqued the people's sinful actions against God and their neighbors, revealing that the reason why they were no longer receiving God's blessings is because in abandoning God, he finally abandoned them. The Pharisees, Jesus says, are the apex of those who silence God's righteous people and true prophets. From Abel to Zechariah, in English it works nicely, from A to Z. They will bear the blood of the righteous who call out for God's justice on those who have murdered them simply because they were faithful with their words and actions, and that made people spiritually uncomfortable. But we note in this text that even as enemies of God, Jesus shows his deep love for the Pharisees. He's beckoning and begging them to turn a different direction. We see this because he's not just giving them the woes of here's what's going to happen, but he laments them. He laments the destruction that will come upon them in Jerusalem because they have abandoned God. As they have forsaken God by persecuting and muting his messengers, even his own son, so God will soon forsake them by leaving the temple, which is the place where God promises to be with and present for his people to forgive their sins and bless them with life. All underneath of his protective wings. And so as much as Jesus wants to gather up his wayward children, and we hear Jesus say, as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, right? As much as Jesus wants to gather, that's how much they reject. And in doing so, of course, they doom themselves. Not only will the temple be destroyed a few decades later in AD 70, but they will have exiled themselves from God and from his son, their Messiah, the Messiah, and from salvation. By refusing to be corrected in their false piety and their twisted spirituality, they banish themselves from God and the blessings and the life that only he can give them as their creator and redeemer. Now, in hearing these words of woe and lament, we might be tempted to shake our heads and say, Poor Pharisees, how could they reject the prophets and the sages and the scribes, right? They're the ones that through their teaching and speech and writing and actions that bring God's life-giving word to them, how could they reject them? How foolish can they be? How could the Pharisees despise and deaden the very words of God that they were called to know and teach and live? Lord, I thank you that I'm not like these Pharisees. Now... If we are tempted to place ourselves on Jesus' side here, uh, then we first need to look into the mirror of God's word, lest we hear the same woes of hypocrisy. But you say, I've never persecuted a prophet, and I've never whipped a wise person, and I've never silenced a scribe. And you might be right, but to a point. So think, when have you closed your ears to a preacher because you are uncomfortable with how he unmasked the carefully crafted image that you construct of yourself to show yourself and the world, unmasking it and showing that in reality you are like that corpse in the coffin, just all gussied up to look alive. When have you rejected the wise counsel of Christian brothers and sisters when, out of concern for you, they call you away from selfish and destructive behavior? And when have you shut the scriptures because you hate hearing that your desires are not God-pleasing and life-affirming? Rather than shake our heads at the Pharisees, what we need to do is reflect on how we oppose God's word. When is it that we push Christ away? And when is it that we latch onto theologies that we like to hear, the ones that say that we're beautiful when we are true to ourselves, that when we uh, follow our deepest passions, we are the truest we could be to ourselves and to each other. That is what it means to be human. The problem with this kind of passion theology is that it tempts us to give in to our sinful desires and it tempts us to celebrate our vices rather than point us to the passion of Christ who suffered and died to liberate us from our corruption and to liberate us from eternal doom. Now, we probably all know our theme verse for the year, but if for some reason you don't, it's here, and this is the connection, right? Our theme verse for the year is Psalm 91.4, which says, He will cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you will find refuge. What we hear from Matthew today leads us to this, that as children of God... We know that Christ came to gather us, to gather you under his wings, and to give you refuge from yourselves, from your vainglory, from your false piety, from your twisted passions, and from your certain death. So run to Christ for refuge. His passion for you is healing and life eternal. Amen.